Welcome to Everything In Between, the podcast where a dad and daughter duo delve into the chilling stories of true crime, paranormal occurrences, and urban legends. I'm Emma. I'm the dad. That's Anish. And he's sick. How are you feeling? Um, just congested and I feel like my voice is going to go, so <laughs> I will try to speak up louder. Well, don't strain yourself because that will not be fun, so... Just do the best you can. Yeah, I think you won't mind if you can't hear me. Wow. Okay, well. Uh, it's been a pretty long week, in my opinion. Everyone voted. Yay! <laughs> so much voting, so much news has happened, and it's just whew, tiring, but also happy, but also not happy, and yeah. I know this comes out Wednesday, but happy Veterans Day, so. Oh yeah, happy Veterans Day. Right all those who served and are serving yeah um okay do we have anything to say no it's just been well you're right it's been a long week it's been a crazy week of course as always but again i'm just happy as many people voted as they did people got out that's great just good it's good yeah and then i had my midterms and those those were not fun but i survived so there's that i guess uh, all right. Shall we just jump right in then? Whatever you prefer. Okay, so I am going to be doing a two-parter uh, on vengeful spirits. So it's sort of like a generic topic, but I've picked out a couple examples from different places all over the world. Uh, and I'm just going to go over like what they do. So wait, vengeful spirits as in um, these aren't, these are... Um, these aren't urban legends, or these are... No, these are ghosts. So, supernatural, okay. Yeah. Alright. Um, I guess some of them, like, are technically urban legends, like, they're, they're sort of, like, almost Bloody Mary-esque. Okay. Um, but, yeah. So, the definition of a vengeful ghost is the spirit of a dead person who returns from the afterlife to seek revenge for a cruel, unnatural, or unjust death. In certain cultures where funeral or and burial or crema- cremation ceremonies are important, such vengeful spirits may also be considered considered oh my god considered as unhappy ghosts of individuals who have not been given a proper funeral. So wait, you could be vengeful because of the way you died, but then you're vengeful on the way you were buried, put to rest. Yes. So. So if you don't follow the right. Yeah, it depends on like, the culture, and stuff. Um, and. Does that mean, well, I guess you're going to talk about this, but the one where you're not put to rest in the right way, you're vengeful against the person who did it and family or just anyone? Uh, most of the ones who get, um, who are laid to rest the wrong way target their families, yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's pretty interesting. Um, I'm going to start off right here in America with Carl Pruitt. So... This, when you think of vengeful ghosts, you think of like more of a category, like for example, like the whole Bloody Mary thing. Like she can pretty much appear anywhere. You just gotta summon her, 
and she'll, like, whatever. Um, but Carl Pruitt is a very specific example of a vengeful ghost. He's not, like, a broad Dude, category. you're not covering Bloody Mary, right? No. See, I don't even remember the Bloody Mary thing in the sense of... I know I knew you can summon, but that's a ven... You're, you, if you well, summon... Well, okay, she's some... not... Okay, I guess she's not really a vengeful spirit, but, like, if I you mean, summon her, she will kill you or scratch you or something. Right, so it's not vengeful. Just saying, like, like hey, you want to die? Then call on me. True. Okay. Well, True. That's just, okay. Yeah. Then she's not a vengeful spirit, but she's still... But I see what you're saying. You're saying basically that like a like a people think of ghosts that kill. Like what's that movie that's coming out? Uh, uh, La La Llorona. La Llorena. Llorena. The weeping mother. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like that. And I have actually a couple spirits that have to do with that tale. I didn't include her in this, but um, I have a spirit that is eerily similar to that story. Uh, so Carl Pruitt, uh, this like his death occurred in june of 1938 uh he caught his wife cheating and so he strangled her with a chain and when he realized what he had done he killed himself uh and the two of them were buried separately uh so uh he caught his wife he killed her with a with a chain he strangled her okay and then killed himself yeah okay he was like angry and stuff killed her and then he was like oh my god I just killed my wife so he killed himself crime of passion okay yeah uh so he actually this has a couple of victims um that I probably should have checked out from you know reputable news sources that this actually happened but I'm going to tell you about them anyway so the first victim a young boy named James Collins was throwing rocks at the tomb of Carl Pruitt and uh, while he was riding his bike back home, he crashed it and was strangled with his bicycle chain. No. Yeah. And there were, uh, he was there with his friends, and he was the one throwing rocks, and they all saw it happen, and then they saw him crash and die. So I'm they sorry. weren't throwing rocks. I'm just trying to think. Of, so you crash your bike, your chain comes off your bike. And somehow. Somehow gets around your neck. Well, there's no for your neck. Just, just no, strangled. it strangled him, yeah. Strangled. Whoa. And were they specifically thrown rocks at that grave? Uh, I think so. I think graves? it was at Carl. And it was just him. The other boys weren't throwing rocks at the grave. Um, was there, is there any known connection between this boy and... Or just, it was just... I think he just lived in the area and like, had okay. heard the story right. of Carl right. Pruitt. So then um, the victim, what, second what, victim... When, what does he, do you know the year of this? Was... I don't. I don't know. That's spooky. Okay, that's a... So then the second victim was James Collins' mother. She came to the grave after her son died and destroyed it with an axe. And later she was hanging clothes on a clothesline and it the line came loose and strangled her. Oh my god. And apparently that the, cl- the clothesline was not made of string but instead it was made of chain. Which I don't understand but okay. Okay, I think that somebody just embellished that. Yeah, I think I think if if she if she actually did get strangled, it was probably just a string. Because I feel like if you're using clothes on, like, why would you hang your clothes on a chain? It's gonna get rusty. It's gonna get all yeah. your clothes. Yeah, it makes no sense. But hey, <laughs> I understand people are trying to go through it. Um, so, um, is her dad in this story? Well, yes, but he hasn't died. I think um, I would be looking at the dad. <laughs> uh, so when authorities went to the graveyard, the tombstone was unharmed. But you, but they said she, she had a witness that actually she, cut it, like. Um, or I don't it. know, but she. It said that she just went and destroyed it with an axe. So maybe if if you're saying it was the dad, you know, 
tombstone wouldn't be destroyed if you just said, oh yeah, she went to the Carl Pruitt's tombstone. Yeah, I feel like this was a... Conspiracy. You know, people know, urban legend type thing, I'm going to blame it on the ghost. Yep. But, okay. Like with Goatman, everyone <clears throat> blames it on Goatman. Yeah. Um, so three more people died in a similar manner. I'm going to go into detail with one of them, um, and then the other two, you, they just, you'll... You can just infer what happened. And again, so. this is the this is just w- over. He died in thirty eight, right? You yeah. Said. So this this happens between nineteen thirty eight and like the nineteen fifties. Okay. All this stuff. All right. Um. So a farmer was traveling in a wagon with his family, like a horse drawn wagon, and uh, he claimed he didn't believe in ghosts, so he shot at the grave as they passed by. And as a result, the were horse... Were still horse-drawn wagons in, in, the thir- in 1938? I mean, he had one. So where, where was this again? Where did the... I don't know. Okay. I should have looked. I'm just trying to think. So this wasn't Actually, like I city. might be able to look. That's all right. Go ahead. Okay. Um, so he, he shot at the grave, and the horses got spooked and began to run. So the family jumped out, but the farmer ha- uh, hung on and was hurled from the carriage and snapped his neck. On like the the reins, so, like the reins got so twisted. This around. has to be like out in the country because I you mean, know I think you, it is. How do you like take a horse drawn carriage through a cemetery and then still be able to fire off? Well, shots? I think they weren't going through. I think I was thinking like they were going on a road past the cemetery, and then there was like the grave was like right but, there. But like it happened, you're saying it's happening. Oh, Kentucky! It happened in Kentucky. All right, so they're in Kentucky, but it happened like he's he he's in the carriage. Going by the grave, pulls out his rifle, whatever, gun, rifle, and shoots. And then the horses spook. Everyone jumps out. Yeah. So, okay, I have the other two stories if you want to hear them. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So, um, so yeah, he snapped his neck on the reins. And, um, the headstone, or the gravestone for Pruitt showed no signs of damage at all. So he's, so... The, the wife and whatever family said that he actually hit the gravestone with the bullets. Yeah, I think so. Oh, my gosh. So, it's um... Like what? Titanium or adamantium. <laughs> yep. Uh, so, this was enough to, like, convince everyone that the grave was cursed. Uh, so, local congressmen were contacted, and they were sent to investigate the stories... So when they arrived, this is all from like one of my sources called prairieghosts.com in case you want to know. Um, so uh, one of the people that arrived like made fun of the idea of so-called ghosts and curses. Uh, so they just took several photos of the headstone and then left to go talk with some witnesses. Uh, so as they were leaving, the person who was like making fun of it looked in the rearview mirror of a car that was parked like around there. And he saw a bright light coming from the direction of the tombstone. And he thought it was just like a reflection from the car's taillights. But then it began to get closer and closer. So he's... Oh, so he's in the car right now. So he began to drive faster. But the light kept coming and following him. Uh, so he was just watching the mirror. Like, because the light was he's just coming focusing coming. on that. Yeah. So his partner in the car was like pleading with him to slow down. Um, so... But he wouldn't. Then the car swerved off the road and crashed between two posts. It rolled over and over, and um, the pa- the officer on the passenger side 
was thrown out of the wreck and was only slightly hurt. And the other guy was dead, the driver who was doubting it. Who, who mocked the grave. Yes. But he had died before the car had wrecked. So um, he died in the... Oh, my God. Okay. As the car had passed between the two posts, a chain that had been hanging between them had shattered the car's windshield and wrapped itself around the driver's neck. And it had nearly severed his head. Oh, my God. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Um, Carl Pruitt. Yes. Kind of badass. No, I'm thinking that this is, yeah, okay. Um, so after that, people were like, yeah, no, Guinness, you're clear. But of course, skeptics are always, you know, there. So one man, Arthur Lewis, he decided, I'm going to go there. And I'm gonna, what year is this? Is it in the 50, like 50s? Uh, this is before the 50s. Okay. I'm going to get to the 50s. Right. Um, so he wanted to prove that the stories of a cursed tombstone was just not true. So he told his wife that, like, one evening, I'm going to go and do this. So he went to the graveyard with a hammer and a chisel. And he began to destroy the grave marker. And uh, people around could hear, like, the noise of him, like... Yeah, banging, banging yeah, yeah. around away, and then they heard a blood curdling scream that filled the night. Um, so several men grabbed lanterns and went down to investigate. When they arrived, they found uh, Arthur Lewis dead, with the long chain that had been used to close the cemetery gate wrapped around his neck. So apparently something had frightened him, and he had started running, forgetting about the chain barred at the entrance gate. Um, and even though, like, 10 or 15 people had heard the sound of, uh, Arthur Lewis, like, breaking the gravestone, there were no marks or of broken places on it. I like this story. This is a good story. Yeah, I know, right? Um, so, after this last death, like... So, wait, he, so, they hear a scream, he's running away, and then... Yeah, and they he find had, like, got tangled the, in the gate. And his neck. Wow. Yeah. And then the gravestone was just untouched um so the um burial site was sort of like forgotten uh it's like some people were actually removed from that cemetery and buried somewhere else but Pruitt had no other family in town so the site became overgrown with weeds and just really like left to the wild so now we're in the 1950s uh it's 1958 and um a strip mining operation was undertaken and the grave was destroyed. All right, so the land got sold somehow. and then Yeah, the land was sold and then something was built on top so of it. So there were all the other, he was the only body left to rest there? Well, he might not have been the only one, but he was like, there were very few. Okay, okay. Um, so as of uh, the articles that I read, no one has been harmed from this action yet, from like destroying the whole grave and building stuff. Um, or doing mining or whatever. So, I mean, I don't know. Maybe there were just too many people to kill, but that's Carl Pruitt. So the, so the, um, grave no longer exists. The land has been used for something else. Yeah. They didn't excavate any of the bodies. Don't think so. Whoa. Yeah. So, (laughs) 
If there are any hauntings I want to know if there was there. like other murders going on around in Kentucky around that time. And oh yeah, maybe. That's that. That's spooky. That's that's. It's a good one. So now these ones, um, are more like urban legendy. Like that one was like pretty paranormal. Like these are technically ghosts, obviously, but like but, there's but not. Though what's Ooh. interesting is that he's vengeful. I'm just. I mean, I guess he's more like just let me rest, leave me alone. Yeah, people are like. So it has disrespecting his grave. Like he, has, he was vengeful because people... Right, so he was... Like, he probably would have been fine <clears throat> if, like, people just left him alone. And the guy that he... Uh, well, he only killed his wife. He didn't kill the, the, his wife's lover. No, just the wife. Okay. Uh, so we're now moving into Malaysia. Okay. With the... I really should have looked all of these pronunciations up, but I had, did not. So the uh, Sundel Bolong, I think it's pronounced. Um, so this is... A pattern that you're going to notice for most of these are vengeful spirits are usually women. Um, they appear as beautiful women, and then when they're going to attack you, they become super distorted and ugly. So that's common throughout most of the cultures that I'm going through, yep. which I think is pretty interesting. Um, so this spirit um, is a ghost belonging to a beautiful woman who died while pregnant and gave birth to the child while in her grave. Oh. According to legend. So there are different variations, of course. So she's buried and she gave birth. I think it was like maybe while she was being buried um, or oh. something. But some versions said she died giving birth. Okay. Uh, some versions say that the reason for her pregnancy was rape. And some versions say that she committed suicide because of the pregnancy. Okay. Um, so her ghost wanders the earth, not just Malaysia. Uh, dressed in a long white nightgown with long black hair down to her butt. Okay. And apparently her hair covers up a hole in her back where her baby came out. Ugh. Which doesn't make sense to me, but well, okay. Well, she's dead. I mean, yeah, but okay. Um, so her main prey is men. And it's very difficult for them to resist her charms. Because she seems pretty beautiful at first. And then she's like, ha I have a hole in my back. Um, <laughs> That's gross. So her name means um, prostitute with a hole in her. And I know the politically correct term is sex worker, but that's just the translation that the site gave me, so I figured I would just say that, and then disclaimer, I know it's sex worker. Um, so and when did, do you have the timing of when this started, this, this legend? Um, it's pretty old. I don't know exactly how far it dates back, but it's, it's pretty old. Okay. So what she does is she will lure uh, the victim, usually a man, away. Then uh, she will castrate him and then usually leave him alive to suffer. Oh my god. So she just, she just walks around Ooh. with a hole in her back and cuts dicks off. Jeez. Because, you know, what better way to spend your afterlife? Uh, so... And uh, these are places you're saying that, I know you said it's, it's all over the world. Yeah. But, um... It originates in Malaysia. In Malaysia, okay. So now we're moving into India. Okay. With the Churel, I think it's called. Uh, so it is most known for its scream. So, like, sort of like a banshee. Yep. Uh, it is created when a pregnant woman dies during, uh, Diwali. Whoa. Which is... That was just last week. Yeah. Um, the Festival of Light. Uh... Yeah, I really should have done this story last week because it would have been perfect. Uh, but. I don't know, no, you're, 
Dorothy wouldn't have been happy to hear anything about this. It's better True. after. After. True. Does she even listen? To, I don't think she would listen to this. She doesn't like scary stuff. No, she doesn't. She doesn't. But still. <laughs> okay. Well, um, it also happens if a woman of a low caste dies during childbirth, while pregnant, or during her period. Okay, that's all right. Yeah. Um. So, um, the the spirit. Uh, her feet are flipped 180 degrees, uh, so she can walk backwards. Can uh, she only walk backwards? I mean, I feel like, like, if she's walking forwards, it would be like her walking backwards, almost like she can see where she's going, but it's the awkward way to walk. So okay. she can walk better <clears throat> backwards, I think. I don't know how okay. it works. Uh, so her appearance, like, uh, so they usually appear very beautiful, um, but her true appearance is a, quote, Horrible, ugly woman with a pot belly. They have long, serpentine-like uh, tongues, and their hair is also snake-like, moving on its own. I was going to ask you that, like, when you're saying beautiful, were they pregnant? But I guess you're saying that with the pot belly, so... Yep. Right. They also have sharp fangs in their mouth, again, like a snake. So, when they change their appearance to look beautiful, their backward legs uh, remain. So, they usually conceal their legs with, like, long dresses and stuff. Ugh. So, you can't tell until it's too late. Um, so how she lures her victims, um, is she mesmerizes them with her eyes. Uh, so if her gaze is not shunned, which you do through covering your own eyes with cloth, uh, she will lead the victim to a secluded location and drain them of blood. Um, so in some cases, she might... So what I'm trying to understand here is that, again, you're saying that even when she's beautiful, she still has a belly. No, no, no. She has the legs when she's beautiful. All right, so she doesn't look pregnant when she's be- when she's no, I don't luring think so. people in. Okay. Um, Just trying to think, like, this seems to be, like, a weird then fetish thing for, like, who she's luring in. <laughs> because, like, you know. No, yeah, no, she just looks like your standard attractive woman. Right. With, you sort know, of like uh, in The Shining. Sh- just. It's like in The Shining with the, with the woman that's, like, really tub. pretty and then yeah. she's really ugly. Yeah. Um, just that her feet point the wrong way. So, sometimes she does not kill her victims immediately, but instead uh, will keep them in a cage where she will uh, drain their blood for several days and sometimes let them return to their families afterwards. So, if they do end up returning, they will look much older, like gray hair and wrinkles and all that. So, they've had, like, years sucked away from them. Pretty much. Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, So, desired victim of this spirit is usually its own family. Uh, and it's angry about not being... Wait, 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 wait. The desired victim is its own... Family. Because... Um, so you're saying that if somebody in your family has died in childbirth... Or on a period or whatever. Or whatever, whatever. Died, comes back to that family... And targets But looks like people. somebody else. Well, I don't actually know if they just look like a random attractive woman. I feel like it would make sense if it looked like someone else. Because if you see your dead loved one and they're like... Hello. I, I would run in the opposite direction. At first. I'm trying to think of, like, the aunties sitting around, talking <laughs> about this story, and basically saying, like, look, you know, and then say somebody, like, God forbid, one of your family members with the baby dies. Yeah. Then you're just sitting there, like, okay, everybody just be warned. Tell like, you what. You know. If I die during pregnancy, I'll come back just so that we can make sure. <laughs> right. Just to prove our point, okay? Uh, okay. Cool. Now you're just, that's, yeah. <laughs> okay. You heard it here, folks. Be on the lookout. Okay, so, 
Um, they're angry about not being properly cared for during their pregnancy. Um, so, if the body is buried with, quote, meticulous care and respect, the churl's bloodlust may be sated. Okay. So the best way to, like, stop this is to prevent it in the first place. And would you like to know how? Yeah. I'm thinking that... Okay, go ahead. <laughs> okay. So first, you're going to put the deceased in a coffin that will be nailed shut with iron nails. Um, the deceased's hands or feet should be bound with iron wire or nailed together with iron oh, nails. Oh, God. Um, red flowers should be planted all around the gravesite. And iron nails should be driven into the threshold of the home. Wait, this is in India? Yeah. Um, but and they cremate everybody. That's what I was thinking, but I think... Well, I should say they, if they're Hindu. Yeah. Um, so if you drive in iron nails into the threshold of your house, it should also prevent the spirit from entering. And I thought that was really interesting because um, iron is like known to repel ghosts like through lots of lore and stuff. So I thought that was pretty interesting. I, I'm just... It just that's odd. that part's odd to me that I feel like I'm not saying that it, it didn't originate in India. Yeah, because like the whole just, cremation thing. Yeah, because I feel like you're just now trapping something. It's like one of those things where well, this is how we're gonna lock this person up, but then you would think there are other reasons why they want to escape. Uh, I guess if it's all iron, they can't. But you would think. I mean, maybe would... if you put them in like the ashes in an iron box and then buried that with red flowers around it. I I'm just wondering about like you feel like you're. You're doing one thing and then harming in another. I, I, I mean, I don't know if there's really a protocol for <clears> dear, <throat> for dealing with vengeful ghosts. So, um, all right. So now we're moving into Japan. Um, with the onryo, oh, onryo, I think it's pronounced. Uh, so this legend can be dated back to about the seventh, eighth century. Pretty old. Um, it comes from beyond the grave to right the wrongs of its past lives. Uh, so it's normally women, but it can also be men sometimes. I'm going to focus on the women because that's where I got more information. Um, so it will appear white and slender, dressed with white but blood-stained clothing, um, and its skin will be marked with green or purple veins and long black hair. So... Uh, the hair is sort of, like, in front of their face, like the girl from the ring. Yep. Um, so when they're angry, their hair bristles and reveals their horribly deformed face. Sometimes their face is just a mouth with no eyes or nose. So, but a mouth. Mm-hmm. There's a mouth, but there's no eyes or nose. That's spooky. Yes. So they will torment former lovers and families which brings the spirit great pleasure. And uh, usually it will drive the living to suicide. Um, so after death, it'll wait maybe like from a few days to a month to start attacks. So, but it's... So the way they die, it doesn't say... You will see in okay. a second. Um, but they usually, they want to wait to see like who's mournful and who isn't. They're like, you didn't cry at my funeral, I'm going to haunt you now. So if you don't mourn my death, <laughs> you're gonna my, regret it. To my standards, that's yep. what happens. And but they don't die in a weird way, like they don't. Oh no no, no you'll see. Okay. 
Um, so they're usually created through trauma in their life. So maybe abuse from a spouse, um, and then their resulting rage uh, is not like specifically directed towards that spouse. So they might attack their family members that had nothing to do with their death. So when they have some trauma, a piece of their psyche goes bad, and then at the time of their death, that piece of psyche escapes into this ghost. and becomes this thing. Okay. Yeah, and it might not even attack the if they're like murdered by their spouse. It might not even attack the murderer. It might so just go after the family. It's just not its own. It's like it's, it's like, just I'm a, rage and attacks. I'm an independent consultant that uh, just decides. <laughs> yeah. To my own way. I beat to my own drum and okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, all right. So when you see this ghost, you usually um, see the spirit collapse on the floor, seemingly unconscious. Then as you approach, uh, you'll feel like a really bad feeling or get a migraine. Um, then the spirit will begin to move, making sounds that can't be like decided as either a laugh or a cry. And then you'll hear whispering in an incoherent language. Um, so then the spirit will stand up and float towards you and then try to catch you with their hands. So like reaching out to you. And there's like a dark and heavy aura that surrounds them which just causes pain to the victims so i guess it sort of like weakens them as they come for you and then they don't like they don't kill you right away it like usually drives you to suicide so you might like just see it a bunch of times and then just be like you just want to escape so yeah um so that's not really a vengeful ghost that's just a like again you know a hired gun or it just well, I mean, in a way too. It's like because at least at vengeful, you'd be like, I want to take care of like whatever the trauma, unless they're going after. It could also be like your family like knew about it and didn't do anything. So they're a vigilante ghosts. That's maybe that way too. So they're saying yeah, could Dark. be. Um, okay, so now we are going into Thailand with the Phi Thai Hong. I think it's pronounced. Um. So. These ghosts are usually people who suffer excessively cruel deaths or are left unburied or just were not given proper uh, funerary rites. So the most powerful version is a pregnant woman because it has the strength of two, the woman and the unborn child. Um, so places of extreme violence are really good breeding grounds for them. So... Um, places where there was like a terrorist attack or there was a natural disaster that just left a lot of people wounded or dead. So if it's a disaster or whatever attack, is the vengeful ghost someone who died within that disaster or it's just that when it, where it happened in the disaster, because the disaster happened, that's where the ghost decides to hang out? I think it can be both. Okay. I'm not sure, but um, people build shrines at these places to persuade the ghosts to leave so okay so as disaster happens and they just do pre pre preventative care yeah okay so actually yeah yeah it's the people who died there because the ghosts wait by their place of death and i have a note here that says apparently i had a dream about this before i knew what it was because i did these notes like a while ago um, the first time, so I guess I had a dream about that. After you did the notes? No, before I did the notes. And then when I was doing the notes, I was like, whoa, I had a dream about this happening. That's weird. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they wait for a living person to come by, 
and then the ghost will try to kill the person and therefore make the spirit take their place. So they're kind of trapped there. Oh, so this is this is their way of leaving? Yes. To, they have to, to like, trap someone else there for, in order for them to leave. And because it's a disaster, a natural disaster, where it's that's why it's traumatic and it's like not a it's it's not a natural death. So yeah. the ghosts are basically saying if you don't die naturally, you're trapped and the only way for you to go naturally is to trap another unnatural death. Yes. Yeah. Oh. So that probably, seems like a series to me. <laughs> yeah. Probably the most interesting thing uh that I learned while I was doing this um was the oh god, the mang mangrazat which is the judgments of King Mangrai. Mang the Mangrai. This is in Japan too? Soldier? No, this is uh in Thailand. Okay. Uh so this is a collection of laws that, that were laid down in the fourteenth century, which go into detail about murder. So stated in this is that uh when somebody murders another person, especially a child, they were forced to keep the corpse in their house for a predetermined amount of time. And this was an effort to create um, this spirit, which would then torment the murderer. So you, the the victim. The victim is kept in the murderer's house. In the murderer's house. Yeah, so that oh. they would come back as this um, yep. Fi Tai Hong and, uh, and then terrorize the, the murderer. Killer. Yeah. So that was their form of justice. There's no. There's no. Well, they probably also like punish them in other ways, but like. Um, during this this time when this legend was so popular, it makes sense that they would, like, use it as a punishment. Like, oh, if you killed this person, now you're going to have to, like, have them become a ghost and kill you. Um, so that uh, wraps up my spirits for this part. Next week I'm doing part two. Um, so a lot more cultures I haven't covered. And just going to say, if you know of a vengeful spirit from your culture that I haven't covered yet. Um, I might not be covering it in the next one, so send me what it is, and then I can try to work it in. Um, so our email is everythinginpodcast at gmail.com, or you can submit it through our website, which is www.everythingpodcast.weebly.com, and I won't spell it this time, because apparently everybody knows how to spell Weebly. Uh. Well, you would hope. True. Um, but yeah, you can submit it through those two things. Um, and I will try to work it into the next week's episode. Um, that about does it for me. And I actually just remembered something I probably should have said in the beginning. Uh, so I wanted to bring it up on the podcast instead of like, just talk about it because it it probably was nothing, but I thought it was really interesting. So the other night, um, I was just about to fall asleep, right? Uh, and then I felt these, like, taps, uh, like, starting at my shoulder, and they just, like, went up to my head. It was like someone was poking me, but it was on the side where my pillow was. Um, and then I, like, my eyes snapped open, but nobody was there. And I think it's that thing where, like, when you're falling asleep, um, your body, like, sends out messages to check if you're actually asleep and not anything. So it was on your... You the side that was on the bed, because oh. like, I sleep on my side. Probably bed bugs. Oh, oh my god. It wasn't bed bugs. You but burn your room. Because we can't let it infest the rest of the house. What the hell? <laughs> okay, well anyway, I felt those... It really felt like someone was poking me, like, in... Almost like walking their fingers up my 
uh, up my shoulder and into my head. But I thought it was worth mentioning because it, it almost definitely wasn't anything supernatural. But I thought it would it, be cool if it was. No, it wouldn't have been cool. Why not? Because we, we don't need a haunting. True. So, yeah. We're, yeah. When I, you know bed what? <laughs> is, okay. It's not bedbugs. One of my biggest fears is you 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 know that uh manifestation thing where like if you like worry about something enough you'll manifest it yep see i worry i worry about that all the time that like after i learn about these like new ghosts or something i'm gonna think about it so often that it's gonna manifest in my house uh you know okay well that's just you know daily worries of emma you got a little bit of insight into my mind Um, we're sorry hey I'm offended. That's rude. Okay. All right. Well, that that wraps me up. And then let's get on to your story. All right. So I'm going to discuss true crime. True crime. Okay. And it is uh, about serial killers or a serial. Well, I should say it could be plural here. Uh, Another unsolved one. Yes, it is an unsolved one. Oh my god. And it this one that takes place in uh Florence, Italy, basically the suburbs around for around Suburbs Florence. of Florence, yeah. got it. And t- the time period is nineteen sixty eight to about nineteen eighty five. Alright. And uh the it, the famous moniker of this serial killer is called the the Monster of Florence. And, the Monster of Florence. I, I feel heard, like I've heard of that, but I don't know. There's a couple of things in uh in um, I don't want to say pop culture like movies and things like that, but Thomas Harris, the guy who wrote uh, yeah, all the um, the Hannibal trilogy basically, which should really be the Jack Crawford trilogy, but then he <laughs> sold out because when he wrote Hannibal because of movies and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, um, <laughs> let's but not I, get distracted here. But I wrote I I read this book, the I actually read a book called The Monster of Florence years ago, and the reason I did was because um, you're old. Well, that that too. But I know you. This is I know you saw the documentary, but that the whole Amanda Knox. Yes. Uh, so the the re, the connection to that was the craziness of the um, uh, the the police and everything that happened in the Amanda. And again, I didn't. That watch, was a yeah. really good documentary. I, I didn't, really I didn't liked watch it. it, but but I just heard about the craziness and the the lies and the the framing, all the things that happened. This also happened for the monster Florence and the later trials. I'm not going to go into the trials. I'm going to go most of the killers yeah. killings themselves, but um. The book, The Monster of Florence by Douglas Preston, and uh, uh, I think it's Mario Swayze. Um, Not Patrick Swayze? No. It's a great book. It's actually a really, really good book, and it, it discusses, I mean, depending on what you're into, if you're more into the, the, the like law and order aspect of seeing both sides of the crime itself, and then, uh, I shouldn't say that, the crime and then the aftermath of the trial, it's great, and it's insane. And again, I know you saw the Amanda Knox thing, so you're probably like, yeah, well, that's just Italy. Um, but this is um, this is an interesting story. Um, so let's set the tone here, just to get you into the right frame of mar- frame of mind. All right. All right. So we're in the Italian countryside of Florence. Okay. It's nineteen sixty eight, end of the summer, August. Suburbs of Florence are filled with tourists. Well, the suburbs are usually filled with tourists, but you know it's the end of summer, and most people now are going back. So the locals. I mean, as much as they love tourism, I think they're happy to have their town back. And All right. Kind of, maybe they just didn't want the Americans. I don't know what it is. But anyway, 
they're happy that they're getting their quiet daily lives back and can do their typical routines, pastimes. Little do they know. Well, one of the pastimes, it's not specific to Florence, Italy, or really any place, is, you know, it's a pastime of taking your sweetheart after, you know, going to a movie or a club to on a late night rendezvous. And you find yourself, you know, in a secluded area parking a park of some kind of place you know secluded road like lover's lane pretty much you're in the lover's lane so again not specific to florence suburbs of yeah. italy or italy itself everyone it just gets killed in lover's lanes it's just a thing i guess i wonder if there's a ghost for that <laughs> you know they're probably what about hookman mm-hmm. hookman wasn't a ghost he's an urban legend but he's like kind wasn't of a, a ghost. ghost he's kind of a ghost it's he's not like... a ghost but how would he... He's like a being. It's a demon. Okay, well, you know, he's supernatural. Or is he a demon? I mean, who knows? I don't know. Well, let me put it this way. This person's real, what we're talking about here. Okay. I, I mean, I figured. All right, so, again, you know, at this time, 1968, no one's really concerned about their safety. And what's really interesting, though, is that, you know, there have been, to your point, tales of Lover Lane murders around the world happening, elsewhere, things like that. The most famous, kind of at the time, was Zodiac Killer, who yeah. had allegedly committed their, his first murders in 63 and 65, right? So years We should before. talk about that at some point, because that's a big one. Right. But what's interesting is, so 63, 65 is his murders. He wouldn't kill again till December of 1968, right? So 65 to 68. 63, 65 were his first few murders. He didn't kill for a while. And then in December of 68, it was when the Zodiac struck again we're in august of 68 in florence italy oh okay okay Okay, so i don't think the locals would have known about the zodiac i mean there's no internet there's nothing like that at the time so it's one of those things where you know it's i don't know how news travels or i don't think parents was it big news at that point i don't know i don't think i I, it may have been again in the uh california area because i don't even think the rest of the country knew about it but i i'm not sure but, uh, you know, and you know how parents are, right? They try to scare their sons and daughters about tales of people, killer lurking in the dark, waiting in the dark. Yeah, um, yeah. But, you know, that wouldn't matter anyway this time because everything's going to change come <laughs> August 21st. August 1968. 21st, okay. What would happen is a killer would emerge who targeted couples throughout the Florence suburbs, stalking his prey on weekends and holidays, Choosing mostly moonless nights. Moonless nights. Yeah, and would kill both lovers with a gun, as well as taking his rage using a knife on his female victims. Jesus Christ. And this monster would continue his reign for almost 20 years. 20 years. And the question is, does this monster still haunt them? Damn. All right, so let's go through the crime timeline. Crime timeline. Crime time. It's August 28th, as I said, 1968. This case, it's a Wednesday. Wait, August 21st. 21st, sorry. This case, it's a Wednesday in this part. So the whole the holidays and everything else, but this this period of time, it's a... And I'll explain why this was... Originally, when they first went through this, they thought that the murder started a lot later, but somehow the 68 murder causes something. All right. Antonio Lobianco, Lo 29, and Bar- Barbara Lokji. 31 okay. or 32, um, depending on the research. So I, I found this, like, again, I used Doug, Douglas Preston's book, 
There was a whole bunch of others on, uh, there was an Italian website on the specific about the crime that was hard. Like it was translated loosely, so it's oh, you know, yeah. broken English, but it was by the paper that uh, was covering these murders at the time. Um, and then uh, there was another history.com had a whole big thing about it. So I took a bunch from a whole bunch of different places. Uh, Esquire uh, wrote, actually published Douglas Preston's, um, I don't say it was a short story, but a story that made, that later became the book. So huh. there were some things there too. So what's also kind of weird about this, so this is August 21st, 68, in uh, um, a year, less than a year later. Yep. Uh, Lino La Bianca was murdered by the Manson family. Whoa. Yeah. Just thought it was weird. I mean, I know they're not the same names and all, but it just was. When I first heard the name, I was like, that's so similar to... Yeah, that's, so, that's so. what I thought, too. I was like, La Bianca, whoa, yeah. or La Bianca, whatever. All right, so Antonio and Barbara yep. had just seen a movie, and they were searching for a quiet place for, you know, a romantic rendezvous. <laughs> But here's what's, I mean, this is just, I mean, this is more not weird. It's disgusting. Barbara's six-year-old son, Natalino, was asleep in the back of the car. When what they decided, the what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When what? they decided to have this. Uh, no? I, Excuse me, no? I know. I know. So, <laughs> why? But there's more to, you know, about Barbara. Bochi and go, go through. But, so right. they were ambushed and shot dead with a twenty-two caliber uh, Beretta rifle. All right. I believe, yeah, rifle. Uh, Natalino woke, not at the time, like later, to find his mother dead. Oh, Jesus and Christ. And then he doesn't remember. He believes he ran to uh, get help. Yeah. But he's not sure how he got, because he, they think he may have been like awoken and maybe he was carried to a place to get help. And he just says he remembers. He, he, there's all these other stories. Like some people say that, again, he's six years old. Yeah. Um, saying that uncle, you know, uncle, mentioning uncle as if the uncle was there. Other people may have been there. He, ma he made all their stories, but he was just saying, like, mom's not waking up, that kind of thing. Oh, so no, Barb. They, you know, searched the, the, the crime scene and all that stuff to find them both dead. And immediately they charged her husband, Stefano. Whoa, wait, wait. She had a husband? She had a husband. So oh my God. he was charged because of being, you know, of course, jealous. And it was then found out, well, I should say the police may have found out. The townsfolk knew that Barbara uh, was not, um, how, she got around. Oh, and I see. They, but they basically were like, this is an open and shut case. Because even Stefano was basically confessing that he was involved. and But he didn't confess to the murder. He just said he was involved. There's like this discrepancy in that. Did he say he killed her? So he said he was involved. That he what was did involved. he say he did? Right. And that's the thing. Like, this is the beginning of the police on like what you believe is written, what is said. There's right. no record one way or the other. It's just his, his, what he said versus what he said, basically. You know, police versus him. So... He would be convicted, and he would spend a period of time in jail. Six years in jail. All right. right. So it's 1968, right? We are now six years later. Okay. Right? September 15th, 1974, Saturday. Saturday. Pasquale Gentecore is 19, and Stefania Bettini, 18. 
All right. They're well, teenagers, of course, and um, the the their lovers lane spot they would go all the time. Like this was their spot. Like you know, people had seen them there in the past and others that kind of thing because you know cars parked and that kind of thing. Okay. So they had been clubbing earlier in the day. All right. Early that evening. And uh, went to the spot afterwards. Well, killer approaches, shoots them both. Oh. Pasquale's found inside the car, leaning against the driver's door. Right? Oh, my God. So, and Stefania was found outside the car. Outside the car. Undressed, stabbed over 90 times. Oh, my God. And, 90 times? And the way that she was stabbed, it wasn't like, you know, deep cuts, incisions. They were more like superficial pricks. You know, like just kind of huh. like you know, points in there, and and she was also, you know, violated with an olive branch. What? Yep. Postmortem, hopefully. All this was postmortem. The, 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 um, um, the stabbing, the, the wound, the stab wounds were postmortem as well. Um, Jesus Christ. So there was no sign of robbery. Both their wallets and, and her, or I mean, their wallet, her purse, they were all found in the car. And again, like, the police knew that this was, like, a location for couples and that kind of thing. But a bunch of couples had witnessed um, that there were a couple of guys always lurking, like these voyeurs oh. around. Um, and they said weeks coming to the murders that they noticed a couple of people there. Huh. And Stefania had told some of her friends that she was she was, felt like she was being harassed and that there was someone following her. But the police never found a suspect. And basically, this is what they said. Ah, you know, it happens. They just left oh it as like a one-off occurrence. It probably won't be repeated. You know. Oh that's what my happened, God. Right? That astounds me. Yeah. So that's 74. We now go jump another time frame. Seven years. Seven years. Yeah. June 6th, 1981. Okay. Saturday. All right. Carmela De Lucio, 21. Uh-huh. And Giovanni Faggi, 30. Okay. They're engaged. Oh. And they... Also tend to go to this one Lover's spot. Lane, yeah. Not the, this is not the same as the previous one, but you know, they go they go to this the, the this particular lovers lane area. So the know. killer has to like know like all about these local lovers yeah. lanes. I, and I don't think it was like a hidden thing. Like it's it, it's a known. Well, yeah, thing. but there's like a bunch. Like yeah, yeah. But again, also choosing a moonless night. Yeah. Right, that kind of thing. So it's darker. So you know they were also at a club. Before they went out to, you know, seek some privacy. <laughs> the killer shot and stabbed them both. Oh, God. And they be- believed, it's believed because the level of undress that they found Giovanni's body was that they were probably caught in the act while oh. they were in the car. Because he was found um, basically only in his underwear. And also, head, driver's side, shot. Wow. Um, Carmela's body, however, was found much further away, like 20 yards away. Huh. Her jeans were pulled down to her ankles, and her pubic area had been removed with a knife. The whole... Yes. Oh, my God. So, the thing here, too, is that she wasn't dragged. There was no... Like, dragged. She, they believe that she was carried out. So oh, my God. They believe God. that the guy wasn't, like, you know, he had to have some strength to him because there was no drag marks or like that. Now this was this was you know again gruesome act of the this trophy being taken, freaked out of course the police. Yeah. And there was a reporter that I mentioned before that guy Mario Spazi. Yep. 
he was on the scene and was assigned to that case and he it traumatized him seriously yeah he basically like this was the first time but it also became this uh it it became his uh grail holy grail because he as much as it traumatized him and he he had you know signs of ptsd um because of it he he started and this is actually you'll read this in that in the douglas preston book but he ended up you know seeing um this one uh priest just to talk about and have you know some type of therapy because of it because it was really yeah wow on his it was really weighing on his psyche um but he made this his life's work now to find who this person was because of the gruesome nature of that murder wow um and what he did that though was he linked the ballistic report of the bullet in this 81 murder to uh-huh. the one in 74 so he, because he remembered... So he he's like the one that was like, oh, hold up. There's two, yeah, let's connect the dots. So he found out it was a twenty two Beretta rifle using, and here's a, a Winch, Winchester bullets with the letter H embossed in on the shells. So they found those... So like, bullets. that's custom thing. That's it like, doesn't come specific, like that. Yeah, so it's a, you know, a specific box of bullets. Oh, okay. Okay. So, again, they... They're like, all right, now, because of also the rumors and the things that happened about what happened to the to the woman after the after the fact, um, they full court press police, and they ended up arresting a suspect uh, named Enzo Spalletti, age thirty, and he was a known peeping tom. Oh. All right, so people had seen him before, but the thing that was interesting and why he got arrested was because he was talking about the murders before the police even. Found so Whoa. he had seen the bodies. Um, so now... Because he was a peeping Tom. Exactly. So, but he was... He was arrested. And he was put in jail. All right? So they're like, well, you saw it. You were talking. I don't know where... I think they Take said... Take that, spaghetti. Yeah, spaghetti. All right. Now, we're in October. October. 22nd. Okay. 1981. Same year. All right. This is, though, a Thursday. Stefano Baldi... No, he's 26, and Susanna Camby, Camby, 24. They're also engaged. Okay. Now, this is, Stefano and Susanna spontaneously decide to just stop because I guess they were just feeling it. So okay. he's like, we're out, let's go. You know, it's you know, time. It's time. Um, so the place they stopped, according to friends, they, you know, it was just a random place. So they just pulled over on the side of the road and they were like, all right. Well, I mean, I guess what they're saying is that this wasn't their typical place. Okay. All right. So, uh, but not the best place, best place to stop, apparently. Yeah. That's weird, though. If, like, it's not, like, a lover's, lo- like, lane, then that murderer. Well, it, it wasn't similar to, like, the ones where, you know, so a bunch of cars. Like it's still, still a secl- Yeah. I think it was a secluded like area. A... Yeah. Okay. It was secluded, though. Because I was so, thinking if they just, like, pulled over and yeah. the killer's just like, oh, ha, 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 No, no, no. So this time the bodies would be found, both bodies were found outside the car. Both were stabbed. Both were shot. Um, Stefano was only found in his shirt and his underwear. Ooh. So the speculation may have been that they were caught, not in the act, but in undress. Getting there. And, he, and the killer came up and forced them out of the car. Wow. Wait, so they were they were found dead outside the car. They were both found dead outside okay. the car. Susanna, however, was carried away from the car, and again, 
her pubic area had been removed. Jesus Christ, why? So, why? so again, Just the police why? now believe that this is this is the ritual thing for the killer. Yeah. And again, it connects it to the other one, right? So remember, Enzo's in jail. Yeah. When this happens. Oh, yeah, so it can't be him. It was also known that the killer was strong because I had mentioned, like, again, that the, they carried the bodies yeah. of the women to their final resting spot. No robbery this time. I mean, there was no robbery. However, um, her belongings, her purse had been emptied and strewn across the car, the door, like around huh. the car area. So they're not sure if that was just like, like in a panic. It or... could have been like grab this, that, but nothing like there was money, jewelry, all that stuff was still there. Huh. Um, so this was slightly different though, this murder, right? It didn't occur on a weeknight. Well, it was actually a, more of a moonlit night, not as dark as the nights before. All right. Um, so that, you know, they were trying to create a profile of this killer. So they were, expe- they, the way they believed it. And I believe the FBI got involved at some point here. And the, the profile was that it was a skilled worker. Like this was somebody who, it was a white collar job. They were high functioning because the, the nights that they're usually being picked were they had to get to get to, to work the next day or something huh. like that. That reminds me sort of, of uh, Jack the Ripper, how they were like, oh, based on this, he must be like a doctor or something like that. Yeah, the, the mutilation of the body though wasn't like, Super, like, Surgic, neat and surgery, stuff. Surgery, surgery. Sure, surgical? Surgical is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Um, uh, so, the, they, they started to also pinpoint that, again, like I said, probably a taller person, um, a, a strong, robust type person. Yeah. Now, Susanna had spoken to her mother about some concerns about that she was being harassed by somebody that somebody she... Had been following her in a car, huh. so she was kind of paranoid about that. Isn't that what the other woman said too? Yeah. Like... So she was noticing some weirdness. So to your point of saying, like, yeah, well, he wasn't staking out just random uh, lovers' lanes. He could have been stalking like women. people and yeah. then following yeah. them until the perfect chance happened. Right. So. Jeez. Uh, so again, again, that murder Spalletti was released because. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's signature, right? That's fair. So that was October of 81. Now we're in June 19th, 1982. Okay. And this is a Saturday. And this is Paolo Minardi, 22, and Antonella Migliorini. Migliorini. She's 19. All They're right. also engaged. Okay. So now there's been enough killings that people are alert. Yeah, that's... Right? Yeah. So... They're telling there's a killer out there in the woods. You shouldn't be going to these places. You know, all lovers, you should be, again, I mean, part of the, this too is that they're pretty religious too, so they just don't want lovers out anyway. But, you know, they're like, look, Fair. if you didn't have a reason because of God, there's a reason now because there's killers out there. <laughs> yeah, a little bit more So tangible. they're telling him just be vigilant and all these other things. So Antonella took heed in these precautions. Like, she was like, yeah, I'm not, I don't want to go out. We're not going anywhere, this kind of thing. So... On that Saturday evening, um, Paolo and Antonella parked in a highly visible location to the point where, you know, friends were driving by, saw the car, you know, that kind of thing. Other cars would be going by. So, like, oh they weren't God. in a secluded area by any means, right? And, you know, and I, I'm not saying they Just were going to... don't go to a leper's lane. Well... Just keep it in your pants. It's fine. Just don't get murdered. Well, the the they whatever choice they chose was not going to help them anyway. Um, so both were shot, but this was probably the first time that the 
that the killer had uh, either been um, confronted or made a mistake. So in this case, they believe that there was a, I don't want to say a fight, but uh, that there was, a f they could flee or there was a flight that they tried to get away. All right. So Paulo, the way they found it was that he was trying to start the car and get out of the way, drive away. But the way they parked the car was that their backs were to the street. So he had parked, um, oh. you know, heading like into a tree, like the, yeah. the trees. So his, so the back is to the, to the street. Yeah. So the killer came out of the woods. Towards them. Towards them. Jeez. So he can't run at, he can't drive towards the killer to try to hit them because he's getting shot at head on because it's coming out of the woods because he's facing the woods. Yeah. So he pops it in reverse to get out. And as he's getting out, going back, he basically is spinning out of control and he falls into a ditch. Like the car goes off into oh, a ditch. No. So he can't go anywhere. The killer, smart enough, start, shoots out the headlights so it won't bring any, you know, you won't see anything. Cars yeah. driving by or anything like that because now there's nothing there because the lights are down. But wouldn't cars driving by like hear the gunshots? Well, I don't, I mean, I guess it was, it wasn't like a busy, I mean, it, it was it a was road like, that cars drove, but I don't think it was like a... Less secluded than the previous things, but it's still not like a... Like cars a, would be going by, and if cars drove by, they would see a car. Let's put it that way. Okay. But it probably wasn't like a highway or like that kind of... Well, All right. it's, a, it's Florence, so it wasn't a highway anyway. Um, so they were shot dead in the car, and, oh. and not stabbed, and no body parts removed, because the killer had to leave in a hurry, because it just went wrong, right? Didn't get to do the things yeah. he wanted to do. Um, a short time later, a car driving by passed to see a car, like, you know, in a ditch, thinking that there was an accident. Oh, yeah, well. So they get to the, to the, there, and they realize that they've been shot, and Paulo was still alive. <gasps> um, so, you know, ambulance comes, they get ready to go, get him to the hospital. He survives? Unfortunately, he dies. No! But they're, the prosecutor involved in this case started to you know basically laid a, laid a trap for the killer or was trying to and did she, he wait but before he died at the hospital did he get to like say anything or was he just dead so she fed the papers that paulo had before he died was able to talk Ooh. but that wasn't true That's they had no they had no leads but she just did that to see if that would like draw out the killer. draw the killer make the killer make a mistake, so they were now waiting. Okay. Yeah. So now what's interesting is that this all happens. Matt, this big murder again, third one in a succession. Yep. Uh, in eighty one, eighty two. Uh huh. So it's all in the news, right? Spezzy is writing about it. Other people are writing about it. Yeah. So there's a lot of heat on the police, the prosecutor, and everything else. The police receive a newspaper clipping. Oh. Of the 68 murder. Of the six, Like from an anonymous source? An anonymous source sends a letter and written on the top of the clipping, I quote, Why don't you take another look at this case? Holy shit. So do you think it was the killer that said that or someone else? They're not sure. They think that we all hear what they, we talk about some suspects. So the police uh, did look at the, the murder of 68 and that's hey. what they found out. Same gun. Same gun. Same bullets. H on the shells. Oh, my God. Were used in the 68 murder. So, and they believe, again, the bullets came from exactly the same box of bullets. Damn. 
So the murderer who was charged, Stefano Mele, was he would later recant that he wasn't he didn't kill his wife and that there were others involved. So he's he was I think out of jail by then. I don't know how he got out of jail six years only, but he was like Sometimes. I told like it really wasn't me. But what was interesting was when they were going after this, Stefano Mele was also part of this little this a Sardinian crime clan. Oh. That included a couple brothers. Uh, As you do. Francesco. Um, and Salvatore Vinci. Okay. And this is weird. Different um, sources say different things. There's another guy, Giovanni Vinci. And some people say that he was a Vinci brother. Others say that he was actually Stefano's brother. Uh-huh. Um, but they were all part of this crime gang. Just, and there were some know, others, too. committing crimes? Well, they the were, bros? like... No, they were... They were uh, they were just, you know, they petty crime, things like that. So oh. what, what they did find out, though, was that um, Francesco and Salvatore were involved with Barbara. Both of them? Both were. Um, um. And what they were saying is that, and this is where it got weird, because, like, they weren't saying Giovanni was involved, but they think Giovanni may have killed her because of what they, because he was, she was cheating on Stefano. Huh. The, the her husband and that was just wrong. Like you couldn't do that kind of thing. Right. I mean, besides, I guess... instead of confronting the two dudes who were like you know involved as well. Um. So the other thing that happened, like shortly after this murder, the one that we just the one that happened. Yeah. Francesco's car had been found hidden in the backwoods of Tuscany. Just like on purpose. On purpose. Okay. Yeah. And because of that, and that they can that he was a part of this other crime thing, that you know, with Stefano was involved, that they just said, "Hey, that's odd that he's hiding a car after this murder happened," and yeah. they just released this information that about. Makes sense. So guess what? With that, inf- that's enough evidence. We're bringing you in. What? So Francesco gets arrested. Okay. For suspicion, I assume. All right. All right. So that was. Uh, so he's in jail. He's in jail. Again, that was June of 82. June of 82. Now... There's going to be another murder. September of 83. Of 83. He's still in jail. I guess, I mean, it's Italy. (laughs) Remember Amanda Knox? True. It's Italy. Who cares? Horst and Jens. Jens Rusch, 24. Okay. Horst Meyer, 24. Germans. Germans. Are traveling through Florence in their VW camper van. This particular crime scene, this murder, there was more evidence left because of what happened by the killer. So mistakenly, the killer believed he had happened upon a male and female couple. But Horst and Jens were both male and believed to be lovers. Horst was a small build and had very long blonde hair, so could easily have been yeah, thought sense. to be a girl. The killer approached the van and shot through the windows. However, the windows did not shatter. Like, just bullets went through. Huh. And this caused the killer to basically go around the other side because he didn't think he got them. Went in with that side, shot through the windows, yeah. and then entered the van and realized as he enters the van that these are men. Yeah. And uh, they found also, like, all this uh, pornography, gay pornography and stuff like that. Huh. So the killer, of course, left the scene just didn't because do anything. Just it shot, yeah, yeah. left. And, um, but, the, the evidence left was 
the way he shot at the camper van windows because they're taller than a car window. Right. And the angle of the shot gave evidence that the killer was tall because huh. it wasn't coming. It was like a straight through shot kind of thing versus, um, I should say straight through shot. It was coming down. So you had to be standing on something to shoot downwards versus, you know, shooting straight ahead. So they believe that the killer was five foot ten. Five foot ten. Correct. That's really interesting, like how they do how yeah. they use that angle. Because the angle, and again, I do think the angle the bullets were coming top down. So. And because it didn't shatter, it helps a lot. Yeah. Wow. It, yeah. So, um, again, during the murders, Francesco is in jail, and the police are kind of like, ah, that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> Are you serious? They keep him in jail. They think that the brothers, the other brothers in the group, are like, hey, they probably just set this thing up to get to get him to make it look like it wasn't him. Oh my! However, God. you know, after a couple months, a few months, they he was released. And, months. Yeah, and was declared that, and the reason he was re- was released was because, um, they the all of a sudden the police are like, oh no 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 no, there's no monster of Florence, there are monsters of Florence. Oh my God! They now believe it's two people. And they release Francesco, and they arrest Salvatore and Giovanni. So they think at first that the two are trying to, that they killed this person because, or these people, because I wanted to deflect suspicion from the other guy. But then they think it's multiple people and arrest the two guys and release the other guys that they thought it was before. What? Yep. Oh, okay. You know, I don't buy it, but okay. So, yeah, nope. Pretty much. <laughs> what the hell? Now, the other thing, and I, I'll talk about this in a, in a, maybe i talk about this this part. All right, so now that was 83. All right. September 83. Now, these other two brothers are in in jail. Or the two groups. I don't know if the brothers, what, the whatever. Okay. It's July 29th, 1984, and it's uh, it's a Sunday. Okay. Pia Rontini, 18, and Claudio Stefanacci, 21. Okay. With murders, murderers uh, arrested, people are like, ah, no more killers. No. So the, the fear of it kind of like uh, going out subsided. People weren't talking about the boogeyman in the, in the uh, woods. God damn uh, it. So Pia and Claudio went to their usual private spot for the evening. And unfortunately, they weren't alone. This is... So they were both shot and stabbed to death. Pia's body again removed from the car, carried. But this time, it wasn't just their pubic area that was removed. Oh, no. This time, her left breast. Oh, my God. And they Why? did find other evidence now. They think they found a left handprint on the car, which Ooh. they believed was to steady the killer when the act of shooting. So they believe the killer was right-handed because it was his left hand. So then, if they have a handprint, then they have fingerprints, right? I don't know if it was just... When did that technology happen? No, they, they were fingerprint. I don't know if it was like... They just, like just like a palm print? It kind could have been a palm print, yeah. Damn it. Um, when you're committing a crime, always make sure there's fingerprints everywhere. That's the only way you can get away with it. I promise. Uh, they also found knee marks on the side of the car, okay. which also confirmed that it was okay. 5'10". So like basically, he's leaning against the car. with his, oh. So they knew that he was that tall, right? Oh, yeah. Um, now, Pia had talked to her friends and complained about a man harassing her at work. Oh. And, um, and you know, and her friends had basically said that, you know, don't it's, you know, tell your boyfriend this, that kind of thing. 
So she did feel like there was somebody going through it. Tell the authorities. Uh, but again, now another person murdered. Uh, same style, signature as a monster. Uh, Salvatore and Giovanni are still kind of in jail. Oh, yeah. And so it obviously didn't do it. Wait, I have a question. Were any of these men 5'10"? Uh, they didn't say if they were 5'10 or not. I can't remember the pictures of not. So, like, if they know that this guy's 5'10", yeah. they could pretty easily just measure up these guys and be like, oh! Well, again, oh. Spe- most people don't think it was any of them. Like, Mario Spezzi will say, like, they may have been involved in the evening of the first death, mm. but they don't think they were the killers. But All they right. think that they're, they're, it's connected to these group of people. I just wish the police would, like, you know, measure them. Well, you'll see that. We'll talk a little bit about it, about the same thing that usually happens in high-profile cases. Everybody wants to make a name for themselves because it's a political game. So right. they're not, they don't care about the truth as much as they care about their own specific <sighs> career advancement. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. You do? What? No. Just, huh? Like, Sorry? So, okay. All right. Continue, please. Okay. So now this is this is the date is not exact because they found the bodies a lot later, um, September seventh or eighth of nineteen eighty five. It's a Saturday or Sunday. Yeah. Nadine Moriot. I don't know how to say it. She, they're French. Nadine Morio. Okay. And Jean Michel Kravachevili. Wow. Yeah. I'm just gonna say Jean Michel. Twenty five. Okay. Thirty six. Twenty five. 36 and 25. Yeah. So they're French, as I said. They're tourists. They're camping through Italy. Um, and oh, that sounds so romantic. So the thing here, too, is that uh, they believe that that German couple and this French couple would be out in the Florence suburbs because they were tourists. No mm. one would have known that this was going on. Oh, okay. no. Um, because they, they in between this time, there were a lot less people out because of the monster. What year is this again? This is 85. 85, okay. So, um, they're, they're traveling through, you know, t- camping, like tent, the whole thing. Uh, and uh, this murder was the most gruesome of them all. No! The way they've tried, the, when, and this actually, evidence-wise, um, I guess I don't know how, where it was in the countryside, but there seems to be a lot more evidence in, in both the books I've read and some of the the things online they tried to recreate the, the killing so it's believed that they pitched their tent and then start a fire so they're around the campfire Aww. at some point they turned in for the night they believe the killer then approached the tent and proceeded to cut a 12 inch um slit through the tent like to make the noise like Ooh. cutting it and then like moved away which what? woke them up because they so they heard this slicing of the tent. Yeah. So the couple then opened up the flap of the front of the tent to go inspect what was going on, investigate. They went oh. outside. And the killer was just waiting for there. So he oh. shot Nadine first with the point blank in the head, killing her right in the face. Why? Dead, right? Dead in the spot. Why? So Jean-Michel raised his wrist because the shot hit his wrist oh. to save him. So, and... This is an aside, but apparently he was like an amateur sprinter. He just pretended to be dead and then... No, no, he took off. Like, he got hit in the wrist and then took off into the woods. The killer killer followed and caught up with him. No! He took the knife. 
No. And basically nearly decapitated him. Ah! So here's what's crazy. So where he sliced him in the neck no. was so violent that they found blood stains in the branches above the tree, 10 feet. What? Up in the air, yeah. No. The killer then went back and completely mutilated her <gasps> body. But did remove the pubic area and took the left breast, but he, like, eviscerated her, like Jack the Ripper type evisceration. Not cleanly, but... So, very violent. Why? Why would you just... If you're gonna... So, here's the thing, right? So, no one reported them missing. No. So, it didn't... It wasn't until late that Monday afternoon when some mushroom pickers were in the area that they came about came upon the carnage and oh my god by the time they found the bodies too. they were uh covered in a centimeter long blowfly larva so they had been dead for a oh. bit of time oh my god that is just not okay so here's the thing that's crazy that all right so that happened that's monday they find the bodies tuesday the prosecutor the one that did the fit fed the information earlier yeah her name was uh, Sylvia uh, Della Monica. She received a package in the mail. And in the package, it was like a ransom note written, you know, cut letters and such. And in the note, you know, say like, you can't catch me. You're, you're off track. And oh in my the note, God, I know who the killer is. It's the gingerbread man. Was her left nipple. What the? That, the trauma of uh, that with the... Uh, of like receiving that, of that package? She like... She just dropped. She was out off the case after that. Holy shit. So, that was the last known killing of the monster Florence. So, the suspects we had talked about, right? Stefano, Mealy, um, the uh, Vinci, Vinci brothers. Yeah. There was other people. That, so, somebody did get arrested at one point. This farmer, Pietro Pacciani. And um, his trial was insane. Like... He was a farmer. He was known in the area. I think the German dudes had uh, stopped by at some point. But the guy was not of sound mind. But also, like, if the German guys stopped by, like, the killer thought that they were a man or woman. There so was, it wouldn't make sense. Again, the, the prosecutor was trying to do one thing versus the other thing. Right. There's another person, Mario Vanni, Giancarlo Lotti. They believed it was a, satan- a satanic cult, but they were taking body parts for a reason. Oh, shit. They thought it was a cop because the they were somebody on the inside. Oh. And, they were, and the Zodiac Killer. Whoa. When did... Okay, wait. For the Zodiac Killer, the majority of the murders were in America, weren't they? Right, but the, the time frame they're saying... Well, yeah, I, I was just it, They actually match up, but it's not the Zodiac Killer. <laughs> Zodiac Killer. Vacation in Florence. It's not the Zodiac Killer. I think there's somebody on there. So, no one has ever been convicted of the crimes. Jesus. But because the Italian police and judicial system had such a field day with prosecutors and magistrates trying to get political gains out of this, they used falsified evidence, there was coercion, like, so Pacini, you know, was forced into a, uh, confessing, but then, you know, he wasn't, like, even mentally sound enough to get the things together. And it was, it's eerily similar, like I said, to the Amanda Knox case. Um, so Douglas Preston got involved by... Because he was in Italy at the time, and he befriended Spezzi, um, or Spacey, Spezzi, and um, <laughs> they started going back and forth to the point where they thought they had somebody in mind. They they were going to write about it, and at the end of that time, the police were trying to arrest Mario because they thought 
he knew information, too much information he shouldn't have known. They tried to arrest this American guy at one point. He was in Italy, and they came into him, and then he just left Italy right away. <laughs> so they were just trying to pin it on anyone. Yeah, jeez. And... Like, it's even less suspicious, like, for him to be leaving when you know that, like, they're just trying to, like, get it done. They found evidence that was, they believe, was planted at places. You know, Holy it was just, shit. like, even that guy, Pacini, they found some blood after, like, the 12th time searching his farm. Like, it was crazy. But wow. during the trial, that's where Thomas Harris was. And Thomas Harris was writing Hannibal and... uh when he was writing it, he based one of the characters in the in the novel on one of the policemen who, in the in the movie, you'll find out the policeman gets it's because they talk about the monster of Florence and he caught the wrong person and it ruined his career. Huh. So no one ever believed him after that. Wow. So one of the police officers in here that was trying to get it, he based it on it, but the police officer almost sued Thomas Harris because of the defamation of character. <laughs> but in the end, right. No one was ever caught. So it's not clear if the murderer was smarter than everyone else. Or if everyone was just not trying, like... Yeah, or if it was... They just were looking for their own gain. Or if those in charge, right, of justice were following their own personal gains versus following the yeah. truth. Yeah, jeez. But I highly recommend Monster Florence. There's a bunch of, you know, YouTube documentaries about it. Uh, in Hannibal... Apparently, the monster of Florence actually makes an appearance in one of the things, so huh. it's all these things there. But it, it's a it's a crazy, crazy story. And again, as much yeah, as the murders geez. are disgusting, the aftermath and trial and all the things that's even more insane. Too. Yeah, that's that case. It's just a whole lot of wow. Yeah. So monster of Florence for you all. Wow. All right. So that wraps us up for the episode that was a crazy story and um okay so if oh fun fact i keep forgetting what should we do a fun fact about should we do one about florence italy sure florence fun facts let's find out okay oh in 1339 Florence became the very first city in all of Europe with something. It didn't tell me. With, period. There you go. <laughs> you heard it here first. Oh, with paved streets. There you so, go. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, that's, that's your fun fact. As you can see, we are desperate for fun facts. So if you have any, send them to us at our Gmail, which is everything, wait, everything in podcast at gmail.com or send them through our site which is everything podcast.weebly.com um hopefully you know how to spell weebly because i've said it many times and apparently you're y'all are not dumb and i okay i was giving you not enough credit uh so you can follow us on instagram at everything in podcast on twitter at between underscore podcast uh we have a facebook which is everything in between podcasts and a Facebook group, which is pretty much the same title. So it should be easy to find, I think, maybe. Uh, so join those, follow us, uh, whatever you want. We post, like, when new episodes come out, behind the scenes, um, fun stuff like that. So, yeah, give us a follow, join the group, all that stuff. Uh, if you have suggestions for future topics or 
you have an experience with of your own, whether it be true crime or paranormal occurrences or just an urban legend from wherever you live um, or from a family member or a friend, uh, send them to our Gmail. Uh, we would love, love, love to have those uh, to talk about. And I think, oh yeah, um, on Apple Podcasts, if you're listening there, uh, please take a second to rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps us uh, in terms of popularity and getting out there and getting more listeners. So yeah, I recommend this to your friends, and uh, I think that's about it, right? I think so. <laughs> your voice is going to be, it's like leaving. Wow, okay. Well, get better, Dad. <laughs> Bye.